Right? We are in the uh, book of Acts, in chapter 8. Look what it says in verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. We're going to be talking about Simon the sorcerer tonight. There's, he's an interesting character in the Bible. And one that a lot of people get very confused about. And typically, the way people will interpret things in this chapter, it all depends on what their doctrine is. And so, um, that's not usually a good way to do things. But what, one thing you do need to remember, right, if I can kind of give you all a little side lesson here, when it comes to forming your doctrine, it is important that you understand what you're reading. We are The book of Acts is a historical book, you could say. It's the Acts of the Apostles. It's telling, it's recording stories, miracles, and things that happen with the Apostles. This story, it's talking about miracles. It's talking about great things that were done, and it tells us this story about Simon the Sorcerer. This is not necessarily meant for us to form our theology on salvation. That's not what it's there for. Now, understand, there are parts of Acts that are very theological, where they're literally preaching. But at the same time, you know, it's important that, you know, a lot of people pull doctrine from stories in the book of Acts and they really mess themselves up. And you got to watch out for that. It's giving us, this is telling us a story here. And while we for sure can learn things, while this is scripture and it is profitable, profitable for doctrine, it's not always spelling out how things work concerning salvation. It's just telling us a story. So, uh, but personally, I think this, it's, it's, this really isn't a very complicated passage. And I, but I do want us to pay attention to some of these things tonight and learn some lessons from Simon the Sorcerer. So first off, notice how this man, he was from Samaria and he was, he was seen as this great one. Everybody in the city he lived in listened to him. I mean, that's a pretty good thing. If you're a sorcerer, that's a pretty good thing. If you're trying to be an influential character, if everybody in town Believes you, he has successfully bewitched everyone in this town where they think this guy has this great power from God. So this guy probably lived like a king in Samaria. He was very important, but the gospel came through and it changed things in that town. People no longer are bewitched by this guy and people are getting saved. That's not necessarily financially beneficial for him. But you know what? Thankfully, he got saved too. And let me just say, I believe Simon the Sorcerer was saved. And I'll, and I'll show you that here in a little bit. We'll talk about some of the reasons why people don't think he was saved. But notice it says uh, in verse 11, And to him they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So if we're just going to let the Bible speak for itself, it tells us he believed here. And I I believe he was saved. He even got baptized. He even continued with Philip for a little bit. And so it says, Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, They sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them 
that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And this is significant too because ultimately what we're seeing in the book of Acts, and we covered this when we were preaching through the book of Acts, but we're seeing the expanse of the gospel. We're seeing the kingdom of God expanding, not just geographically, but to different people groups. First, we have a lot of these outcasts of Israel getting saved, but now we have Samaritans getting saved who were despised by the Jews They are being accepted by the Christians, which obviously would upset the Jews very much because at this point, Christians were still seen seen as another sect of Judaism. But when they're allowing Samaritans in, we've got a real problem with the Jews. They're not going to accept that. They'll, They'll accept some of the differences, but not this one. And then later in the book of Acts, we see an Ethiopian eunuch, you know, even getting saved too. It's expanding even more. But then eventually it gets to the Gentiles and that's when things really get crazy. So this, that's what we're seeing. But it's telling the story because the Samaritans were a pretty wicked people. I mean, they're, they're a town pretty much run by a sorcerer. That's how bad they were, but they're getting saved. This is a great thing. This is a, a, a revival, you could say, it's breaking out. And so in verse 14, um, or verse 15, who when they were come, Peter and John, come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in the many villages of the Samaritans. So a lot of people will look at that phrase that Peter said to Simon there and think he wasn't saved. But it's like, okay, first off, Peter didn't say that, but he was giving him a strong rebuke, wasn't he? And listen, if you don't think Christians don't sometimes deserve a good, strong rebuke uh, and get caught up in some pretty serious wickedness, you haven't been involved in Christianity very long. But, but either way, this story is just kind of strange too, because after Simon cries out for Peter to, you know, to you know, go to God to give me forgiveness. I mean, it's clearly he's repentant here, but the Bible doesn't tell us what happened after that. So we don't know what happened to Simon the sorcerer after that. And this is definitely an interesting story, but it is one that confuses people. And a lot of people, they want to argue about whether or not he really got saved but they typically interpret it according to whatever their doctrine is. If they think you can lose your salvation, he lost his salvation. If they think you got to repent of your sins, well, he believed, but you know he didn't repent of his sins. And so you know it was evidenced by you know the fact that he did this here. But no, I think the text is very clear. He was saved. And based off what we teach about salvation, there's no problem for us doctrinally at all. But something, so something we also need to keep in mind is after Peter tells off Simon, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to him later on in his life. So you can only guess. And we definitely shouldn't build any doctrine around an unknown. You can't do that. Because okay? remember, this passage is telling, is telling us a story. 
because there's a bunch of miracles mentioned in here. And this is showing how, and ultimately, this is showing how salvation was even going to the Samaritans, showing how the gospel was spreading to different groups. And so, the thing is, it doesn't tell us some of the details that we would probably like to know, because it's not teaching the doctrine that a lot of people are wanting to teach from here. So, all we can do is, you know, we need to go to the places that are clear about salvation, focus on that. But there, at the same time, there are still lessons that we can learn from Simon the Sorcerer. And I believe we can apply these things to many people after they get saved. And so that's what I want to do tonight because we need, one thing we need to get a hold of is that it is a fact some people fail to grow after salvation. It's just a fact. In fact, in 2 Peter 3.18, we have a command... Because okay, we have to be told this because we might not do it. In fact, we're told this over and over again in the Bible. We're not going to go to all the Scriptures. But it says in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We need to grow. We need to practice that. If we don't grow, if, if you are not growing, you are not just staying the same. You're backsliding. Okay. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. There is no sitting still in the Christian life. Everybody needs to get a hold of that. Everyone is moving. You are either moving forward or you are moving backwards. A lot of people, they get real content with where they're at. I'll just stay right here. You can't. You can't just stay right there. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. It's just, it's just the way it is. And sometimes people fail to move forward. They fail to grow. They fail to grow in knowledge. They fail to grow in grace. And when you do that, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. And so I want, us to point out, I want to point out several things here that Simon the Sorcerer never learned because a lot of Christian people, they don't learn these things. We've got to help people learn these things. We've got to make sure we learn these things and practice them because while none of us in here, you know, we're probably ever sorcerers, you know, and like going and bewitching towns and things like that and had that kind of power, it doesn't mean we didn't have our own baggage and that can you know, still get us in trouble if we're not growing, if we're not moving forward in our Christian life. And so the first thing that Simon the Sorcerer never learned, and I was privileged I was able to preach this point a little bit this afternoon while we were out soul winning because it came up uh, somebody was uh, t- asking about miracles. And so I was, all, I was all prepared for this point. But one thing Simon never learned, Simon never learned the lessons from the miracles. Because notice what it says in verse 13. Then Simon himself and believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And this has been a problem. Jesus dealt with this. We're going to go and turn over to John chapter 6. We're going to go there in a second. But we still see this kind of thing today. Many people are obsessed with the miracles. We have this new, there's this movement. I, I keep forgetting what it's called. Greg locks into it, this deliverance doctrine stuff where everybody's casting out demons out of everybody. Everybody's healing everybody all the time. And everybody, and it's Christians doing this stuff too. You've got all the tongue talkers out there doing these things. When the Bible was crystal clear that tongues were a sign not for them that believe, but for them that believe not. And it wasn't gibberish. Okay, It wasn't unknown languages. It might have been unknown to those people, but it was real languages people were speaking. And it was for unbelievers. But what do we have today? We've got a group of Simon the Sorcerers. Maybe some of them get saved. Maybe some of them don't. But they get obsessed with the miracles. They get obsessed with the show. 
They want to see a sign. They want to see something cool happen. And so they do. They, they're, they're always trying to conjure up these things amongst believers. I mean, you know, and who doesn't want to see a good show? But you know what? We as a church, we shouldn't need to have a healing service to get you all closer to God. I shouldn't have to do that to get you falling in love with the Lord, you know, living a godly life. We shouldn't have to do that kind of thing. That kind of stuff was for unbelievers. And sadly, many people, even throughout the Bible, they never learned the lessons from the miracles. Every miracle has a message, and many people would always miss the message from the miracle. Many religions today are still focused on the miracles. They have no interest in the message. And you go into a lot of these churches too where they're doing all these deliverances and casting devils out of everybody, healing everybody. These people know nothing about doctrine. They know nothing. They don't get the message. And all of Christ's miracles were ultimately done to teach a message. And people often miss the message. And I believe that's what's going on with Simon the Sorcerer. here. Look what it says in John 6.25. This is after Jesus had done this miracle of feeding a multitude. With five loaves and two fish. Incredible miracle. Jesus feeds all these people. And then the next day, Jesus tries to get away from them. He's trying to get away from them. They're following after Jesus. That sounds good, right? They want to see Jesus. That sounds really good. But Jesus is trying to get away from them. Why is Jesus trying to get away from people that are trying to come see Him? I mean, I thought Jesus said, Him that cometh to me, I will know why is cast out. And He's trying to hide from all these people. What's going on? Well, the thing is, they weren't coming to Jesus for the reasons they were supposed to be coming to Him for. It says, and when they had found Him on the other side of the sea, looking for Jesus, amen? And that's what these people are doing in these miracle services, in these deliverance services. They're just looking for Jesus. They're just looking for Jesus. It sounds good, right? They were looking for Jesus. They said unto Him, Rabbi, when, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek Me not, because ye saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. The only reason you're coming, it's not because you were amazed with me and the miracles that I did, because now you understand who I am. No, you came to me because you got your bellies full and you're hungry again, and so you're back for another meal. Okay, You are about as spiritual right now as that stray cat that you feed that keeps coming back for more. That's what Jesus did with these people. He just He fed them. And it was a miracle. And they missed the message of the miracle. And they, they were all excited about the free food that they got when they should have been amazed at the man who multiplied loaves and fish. But they just wanted another meal. And he says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And understand, Jesus wanted to give them the bread of life. Not earthly bread. Because guess what? You eat earthly bread, you get hungry again. But you eat the bread of life, you'll never hunger again. That's what he wanted, but they didn't get the bread. They didn't get the bread of life. They got the physical bread. It was about the message. Jesus did the miracle to prove the message that I can give you eternal life. If you eat the bread that I give you, you'll never hunger again. That's what he wanted them to get. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Hey, these people just want to serve the Lord. They want to do wonderful works. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. Why do you say it? Because this is what He wants from them. 
He wants them to get the message. He wants them to believe on Him. And we're not going to go through this whole story, but if you read the rest of the story, once these people finally figured out that, hey, He's not giving us bread again, they went home. They came, they came for the food. And maybe they came too to see a miracle. Hey, that was cool. Just watching how He just kept pulling bread out of that basket. That was really cool. He just kept going. I don't know how He did that. That was amazing. You know, let's go, you know, let's go see if he'll do that show again. Let's see if we can watch and figure out how he did it. But no, they missed the message. Jesus did the miracle so they would get the message, but they didn't get the message. And understand, Simon, he's got the same thing. Simon the sorcerer's got the same thing. This was a guy that used to do his own miracles. This is a guy that used to do his own tricks, maybe, whatever it was. And so he's seeing all these miracles. Like, man, this Philip, he's doing stuff I was never able to do. Boy, this God that we're serving now. He's way more powerful than anything that I was ever serving before. But instead of letting that message just excite him and just him you know, having a desire to just serve God, to be thankful for his salvation after all he had done, he's trying to figure out, how can I do this stuff? He's kind of thinking, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, the way he used to think. And that's possible because he still had the same flesh. And so we're, we're seeing... Again, the same thing, this movement today that are focused on the miracles, they're focused on deliverance, but you know what? The truth is they want a show. You know who they're not much different than? Okay, and folks, I mean, who doesn't want to see a miracle? I mean, would you like to see somebody walk on water? Of course we would. I mean, would I like to watch somebody get raised from the dead? Absolutely. I mean, yes. Who doesn't want to see a miracle? The question is, though, do I have to see a miracle? Is the Bible not enough for you? Is reading about the miracles and God's preserved word not enough for you? He's got to do it again to get you to listen, to get you to believe. Are we going to be like Thomas? Are we not going to learn the lesson from the story of Thomas? He's like, I got to see it for myself first. Are, are we not going to learn from that? You know what? We ought to be able, for, because we have the story of Thomas in the Bible, we ought to say, you know what? God did it right here. That's good enough for me. And yet, at the end of the day, it's not about the miracle. It's about the message. I've got the message. I've never had multiplied bread given to me. I've never eaten manna before. But let me tell you, there's a whole generation that ate manna, and they died and they went to hell. But you know what? I got the message that's more important. And you know what? I have eaten the bread of life, and I don't need to see bread multiplied. I don't need to see fish multiplied. I've got the bread of life. If you've got that... You've got more than those people got in John chapter 6. The people, I mean, think about it. The people who ate that bread didn't get the bread of life. You know, you might think, I'd like to be there for that miracle. You go over to Israel today, they've got a, a place where they uh, believe the spot was where Jesus fed the 5,000. They got a whole church built there. They got a mosaic on the floor that's got, you know, loaves and fish on there and everything. And people go there and they think, man, it would have been so neat to had been back there and got to eat that bread. But you know what? Those people are dead and probably most of them are in hell. We have the bread of life. What we, what we got from this right here is more important and better than what the people got there who were physically with Jesus. Who experienced the miracle. They literally experienced and partook in the miracle. And you know what? They still went to hell. Because they didn't get the message. And we've got people today running around, probably chasing demons, probably get, if they are getting miracles, probably from devils, because they clearly don't have the message of God's word. These people are looking for a show, kind of like Herod. What does it say in Luke 23, 8? 
And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season. Wow. Herod wanted to see Jesus. Are you sure that guy was a reprobate? Are you sure Herod was that bad of a guy? I mean, he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus is so loving. Jesus will accept anybody, even the reprobates. You people that say all this stuff about reprobates, let me tell you, Jesus would be sitting with the sodomites. Jesus would be eating with the sodomites. You guys have got it all wrong about the reprobate doctrine. Wait till you see, you know, because remember how Jesus treated Herod? Let's see how Jesus treated Herod. He was glad to see him. He said, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Wow, he believes Jesus can do miracles. Herod was saved, ladies and gentlemen. But then it says, then he, Herod, questioned him, Jesus, with many words, but he, talking about Jesus, answered him nothing. What did Jesus do when Herod, who wanted to see him, wanted to see a miracle, is asking Jesus all this question. You know what he did? Nothing. He wouldn't say anything to him. Why is that? Let me tell you why. Because I do believe Herod was a reprobate. And you say, well, uh, you don't know when he crossed the line. Here's where I think he crossed the line. I think he crossed the line when after John the Baptist preached the truth to him and said, it's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. And then he still went and then had John head cut off, knew the truth, killed the messenger, killed a man that Jesus loved like that. You know, Jesus, I'm not messing with you. I, I, don't, I don't, yeah, Herod, I believe for sure, was in fact a reprobate and Jesus wouldn't talk to him. And so, you know what? Uh, don't get too mad at us when there's just some people we won't talk to. There's some people Jesus wouldn't talk to. And, but notice this guy, he wanted to see a miracle. This horrible, wicked, vile creature that killed John the Baptist had you know that was you know allowed Jesus to be killed in an unlawful way. Notice that Jesus wouldn't talk to him, but he sure wanted to see a miracle. Anybody wants to see a miracle? Proof of that too. People will spend all kinds of money to go watch you know David Copperfield and Chris Angel and people like that, and everybody knows it's tricks. Nobody even thinks they're actually, but just the illusion. People love to watch that kind of stuff. These guys are doing actual miracles. But they weren't getting the message. And so just watch out for this crowd that's obsessed with miracles today. Watch out for that, especially when they're claiming to be saved. Why do they need these things so bad? I'll tell you what, because they don't really have faith. And they definitely haven't gotten the message of Jesus Christ. And so many, so the thing is too, when it comes to healings and all that kind of stuff, there will always be something you need healed from. And no matter how many times you get healed, something's eventually going to take you out. Everybody Jesus ever healed died of something else. Everybody Jesus ever raised from the dead died later from something else. It's not about the healings. The healings were to get a message across because the message is so much more important. You would be better off. I, I, you, you, any, anybody would be better off to go to a church where they're going to get the, a gospel message preached the truth of the Scriptures preach to them than to go and get physical healing, physical blessings. Because these, the message is eternal. All that other stuff is temporary. It's all, te- it's all temporary. And so many Christians too, they give up and they quit when they don't see the miracles they want to see. They get so obsessed with those carnal things. 
And understand, Jesus is looking to seek and save the lost. Jesus is looking for disciples, while a lot of Christians are looking for an earthly sugar daddy. I want, I want a Messiah that's going to make sure I'm never sick, I never have any problems, I never have any heartache. Because we do, we read the stories about Jesus raising people's loved ones from the dead. And they're like, I don't want to ever have to deal with sorrow like that. I want a Jesus that's going to raise my family from the dead. Well, we're all going to die eventually. He did that to show you that He could save your family. That's the message you need to get. That's what, it's, that's what it's really all about. But some people never get a hold of that. They never get a hold of that. And Simon the sorcerer, I believe he's one, he's one of these. He's wondering, he's seeing the miracles, but he was missing the message. And we've got to watch out for that. Another thing Simon failed to learn is he failed to learn the lessons that are taught from salvation. Even after you get saved, salvation teaches us a lot of things. I mean, the Bible says the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So while a person, when they believe on Christ, they instantly get saved, that grace that God gives them, it teaches them things over time. But often, people in their carnality, because they fail to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they end up missing those lessons. And if you miss those lessons, you're going to have all kinds of problems. And so, notice in verse 17, it says, Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. And think about this. So he originally, he got saved from the preaching of Philip. And Philip is, is a deacon or an evan, was an evangelist. He's a soul winner. He's not one of the apostles. So he doesn't have the same authority that the apostles have. So Philip, but great things are happening when Philip's there. But then when the apostles show up, and then all of a sudden they're laying hands on people and they're receiving the Holy Ghost, all of a sudden this man who was a great one, This man who at one time had the whole town under his thumb, he sees these men with authority come in. He sees this power that they have and he's like, you know what? I want to be like those guys. I want to be the one in charge. I want to be... And listen, saved people can fall into this kind of thing. What did Jesus constantly had to get on His disciples for trying to be the greatest all the time? They were always wanting to one-up each other on things. And what did Jesus tell you? Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. That was what Jesus had to tell His disciples because even His disciples struggled in this area. And His disciples, they were nobodies before Jesus came along in their life. But this guy, Simon, he was a somebody at one time. And so he, at this point, he's not growing like he's supposed to. He's not learning the lessons that he's supposed to. And he did. He got really carnal. And so when he sees... You know, when he sees these apostles with this power, guys who were lowly fishermen, guys who at one time were nothing, guys who followed Jesus and put in the time and did the work and went through hard times, went through battles, he didn't see all these guys had to do to get that power. He just wanted to hand it to them. Kind of like people do all the time too, who they come into churches and think, I want to be the pastor. I want to be the guy in the pulpit. I want to be the guy in leadership, but they don't want to do any work to get there. They just want everything handed to them. They don't want any sacrifice. They don't want to deal with any heartache. They don't want to have to do any work. They don't have to do any study. You know, it's pretty bad too when you have people, they, you know, they say they want these positions and it's like you give them any responsibility and you practically have to do it for them. 
I mean, I think you give them books to read. They won't even read the books. They, just, they want to put nothing into it. Everybody just wants, just, can you just please lay hands on me? What if I give you money? You know, they, they don't want to earn anything. That, that is a very carnal attitude. You got these vacationaries, like we were talking about. These vacationaries who just want you to basically give them money for them to go on vacation for years. And they do almost nothing. You've got guys, they come out of Bible college and they just want these ministries handed to them. Full salary, benefits, retirement package, and a title. And I better get a ton of respect too. Uh, wasn't that way for the for me? Wasn't that way for me? But that's what a lot of people are looking for. And so this guy, he kind of wants that. And so it says, uh, verse 19, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. That was neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. This guy, this was, this showed his thinking was miles off from where it should be, that he is thinking that he can buy this power. Okay, don't ever come to me offering me money to ordain you. Never had anybody dumb enough to do that. I think people learn from Simon the Sorcerer. But it's like, you're crazy. If you, if you think, I'm going to do that. That's not how these things work. He failed to learn the lessons that are taught from salvation. Because understand, the gifts of God are just like, you know, they're, are, are free just like salvation. What did Jesus say in Matthew 10, 8? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Isn't it interesting too how all the healing preachers are stinking rich too? Isn't that interesting how rich these guys get from that stuff? But what did Jesus say? Freely received, freely give. First Corinthians two twelve. Now we have re- we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Listen, Simon, if you don't have the ability to lay hands on people so they can receive the Holy Ghost, it's just because you're not supposed to have it. If the Lord wants you to have it, you'll get it. Okay? Just do what He wants you to do right now. Serve God where He wants you to serve right now. God might not want everyone being able to lay hands on people so they could receive the Holy Ghost. If the Lord wants you to have that, He will give that to you. If the Lord wants you to be an apostle, He will call you to be an apostle. If the Lord wants you to be a pastor, He'll call you to be a pastor or whatever. But when you have people that think, I can just bypass all those things and I'm just going to go buy it, you're, you're missing everything. This is about serving God. This is about doing what God wants you to do. You want to have power to lay hands on people because you want to be a big shot, but maybe God just wants you to be a servant in the church. Maybe God just wants you, maybe it's God's calling on your life to just be the church janitor. If that's God's calling on your life, you are just as much in God's will as the pastor. You're just as much in God's will as the apostle Peter was when he's laying hands on people receiving the Holy Ghost. You do what God wants you to do. It's God that gives the gifts. It was God. It was Jesus Christ that died and descended into the lower parts of the earth and that led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and teachers for the working on the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints. Whatever God gave you, you take what God gave you and you use that. 
Peter didn't go looking for that thing. Peter didn't buy that. Jesus chose Peter for the job that he had. Simon had no business going and looking for those things like that. He should have just been doing whatever it was God called him to do, whatever he had been commissioned to do. But he got greedy because you know what? Again, he went from being the top dog in town to now Philip's kind of the top guy. And he's just following Philip. But then all of a sudden, you've got these apostles come in. They're an even bigger deal. He's just small potatoes now. And I think he struggled with that. I think it was hard for him. And so he failed. He failed to learn from the lessons that are taught in salvation. Some people, you know, when when they score a really good deal financially somewhere, you know, they only see an opportunity for greater profit. But that's not how things are supposed to work in Christianity. It's like he's thinking, I got all these things for free. These are great. Now, how can I profit on it? No, that's not how that works. Okay? You received the water of life. You received it freely. It's not for you to take and to sell. It's for you to take and give to others as well. That's what we're supposed to do with the things that we've been given. Not try to figure out how to profit off of these things. That's not how Christianity works. If, if the Christian life is all about earthly things too, then the Christian life is an epic failure. Because it's not about earthly things. And Simon... You know, he got in during a time when everybody was getting in. I mean, pretty much all of Samaria is getting saved. But let me tell you, it never stayed that way long anywhere. Anytime in the Bible we see a great revival break out in an area, you know what we always see after that? Persecution. You know why? Because when God does a work, Satan is always going to come along and bring in some opposition. Mark it down. Every time. And that is why, too, in any ministry that there has ever been, you know, there's always, you know, you go through times when the ministry's booming, when you're where all the hype's at, and then you do. You have a lot of people, the fair weather folks that come along. And then difficulties come, and then guess what? Those people all leave. That's just, that's the way it goes. That's life in the ministry. People that are just kind of looking for gain. But you know what? In the Christian life, that's not how it really is. Anytime, listen, we've had things boom in here before, and when that happens, Satan's going to get involved. Things are going to boom again. When that happens, Satan's going to try to sneak in and get involved again. He always sows tares among the wheat. Anywhere where there's any kind of growth, Satan's always going to come in and mess around, and he's going to do it when things are going to go are going good. And here's the thing we've got to understand too: it's not our job to make sure we immediately identify the tares. You can't. Okay? You can't do that. But it is our job to stay faithful and endure when they manifest themselves. And it's just, it's a part of the Christian life. And so Simon, again, he gets in while things are booming. But all of a sudden, though, you know, things start leveling out a little bit. And he's like, I, I got to figure out how I can move up. I got to figure out how I can profit. And that is not what this is about. Christianity is not about what you can get. It's about it's it's all about what we've already received, and it's about just freely given too. Freely received, freely give. You get something, it goes right back out. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to take things. We're not supposed to take the light that we've been given and hide it under a bushel. We're not supposed to take the talent that we've been given and bury it. The way things are supposed to work in Christianity, whatever you receive, 
you ought to give it out. If you gain some knowledge, you know what you ought to do? You ought to share that knowledge. That's the way it is. We do, we do not bottle things up. We do not store things up. Whatever we get, we give it right back out. You know, just yesterday, we went to my, my home church. They celebrated 35 years. We watched a video. And I'm watching the video, seeing pictures from over the years. And I'm seeing a lot of people in those pictures. So many, many of the people that are in heaven. People who gave to me. Just, just gave. 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 You know what it's my responsibility to do? Give those same things to other people. And, you know, the things that people did for me, I'm supposed to do them for other people. And many people, they come into church and they're like, Simon, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? It's not how, how things are supposed to work. If you do that, you will never grow. You'll, you're never going to grow. You've got to keep giving. And so, another lesson Simon didn't learn, he failed to forsake the ways of his past. Remember, look what it says in verse 9. It says, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one. Now, now I get it. He didn't go back to sorcery, but he used sorcery to be a great one to whom they all gave heed. He was someone that everybody listened to, but he did this as a way to take advantage of people. He did this as a way to benefit and to profit and so he bewitched these people with sorceries. So in verse 22, when it says, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Hey, you still have some real, serious, personal issues that you need to deal with. He didn't tell him he wasn't saved right here. He didn't say, listen, Simon, you're still not saved. No, but he did say, you've still got some serious sins. What you were, what you were doing before was wrong. Your motivation before was wrong. You were trying to be a big shot. You were trying to take advantage of people. And yeah, you got saved. You believe, but you need to repent of this wickedness. Now he's teaching him, repent of your sins now that you're saved. You're not supposed to be this way anymore. You're still thinking, how can I profit off these people? You're still thinking, how can I take advantage of these people? That's super wicked. And you need to pray God forgives you. Because let me tell you, it wasn't long before where we had some people that got a little greedy and they lied to God. They held back a part of the, you know, the gift they were supposedly given all to God. And God killed them. And this is some serious wickedness. And you know, sometimes we see in the Bible where there were some Christians, there were some, I believe Ananias and Sapphira were saved. God killed them. Paul said to to the Corinthians who were taking the uh, Lord's Supper irreverently or unworthily, he said, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. God killed some of these people because of the way that they were acting. And so he's warning them here for his own good. Hey, God's going to get you if you don't repent of this. So he came from a past, though, where everything was about gain. Understand, many people, the past that they come from, often, you know, after they get saved, they're still carrying baggage from that past. And you know, they have to learn. They have to grow in grace. They have to grow in knowledge. They need to get in church. They need to learn what the Bible says about these things so they can put those things away. So they can lay those things aside. That takes time. Nobody just automatically does that stuff. It takes time. You've got to grow. You've got to learn. He came from a past where everything was about how being important, about how important you were. That's why Jesus had to tell His disciples, 
Hey, the rulers of the Gentiles, they exercise lordship among their people. You know, the Pharisees, they love going and being called rabbi. They love all these accolades that man gives. But Jesus had to tell them, not with you though. It shall not be so among you. Whosoever be chief, let him be your servant. Jesus understood the world they came from, what they were surrounded by. He said, you can't be that way. You know, Simon came from a past where everything was about deception too. He bewitched people with sorceries. He was deceiving people. And let me tell you, forsaking our old ways, changing mindsets is difficult. It takes time. It takes works, work. It takes uh, learning how to walk in the Spirit and how to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's about, it takes time to learn how to put off the old man. Ephesians 4.22 says that ye put off. He's talking to saved people here. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, what you were before you got saved, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And let me tell you something. You can, you can successfully put that stuff off. You can successfully start doing right. But if you're not careful, you can go back into that stuff too. And so you know what we have to constantly do? We've got to renew the spirit of our mind. We need reminders every now and then. Hey, I keep, man, I keep getting tempted to go back to my old ways. I can't do that. I got to renew that spirit of my mind and that ye put on the new man. You've got to put that on. Okay? Jesus hasn't put on that new man. When he puts on the new man permanently, it's going to be great. He's, he's going to get rid of this vile body. He's going to change it. But in the meantime, he's called us. Put off the old man, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Colossians 3 9 says, Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And let me tell you something, we've got to make sure we don't make the mistake, like a lot of people do, of calling people salvation into question who have not put on the new man and have and have not put off the old man. And Peter didn't do he did not he did not call this man's salvation into question, but he did call him out for his wickedness. He did call him out for his wickedness. And we're going to have to do that kind of thing. There's going to be some people that come along. They're saved. They're on their way to heaven just like us. But they're carrying a bunch of baggage with them. And we might have to get them and say, hey, you can't be doing that kind of thing. Hey, you need to watch out for that. Hey, I know you used to do that. But you need to stop doing that. We need to be gracious. Somebody comes in here, you know, and they, they let a cuss word slip or something like that. We're not going to pick them up by the backside and throw them out of the church. Or but, you know, we need, might need something like, hey. Let's not do that anymore. Okay, we gotta, we gotta watch our mouth. We gotta watch our, our communications. We gotta watch our behavior in these things. And we need to put on the new man. But lastly, Simon failed to learn the importance of, an, of a personal relationship with Christ. Look at what happened in verse 24. After Peter tells him, dude, you better ask for forgiveness. He then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Now, this is pretty sad. He's got to ask Peter to do this for him. But understand, he failed to grow. He failed to grow in grace and not Lord. Now, how many thinks that just what he did was unforgivable? I don't think it was unforgivable. It was bad. It was really bad. He needed rebuked. Thank God for Peter being loving enough to rebuke this guy. But did, does anybody think what he asked for was unforgivable? No, I, 
I'm pretty sure Jesus would have forgiven him. I, I, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, it's pretty sad that he had to ask Peter to do it for him. And many people's relationship with God is dependent on their pastor or their church. They don't know how to pray for anything. And listen, if you don't know how to pray, it's okay for you to ask other people, but why don't you learn how to pray? Why don't you ask them to show you how to pray? Why don't you learn to talk to God? Hey, remember when you asked them to save you? Do you believe He saved you? Okay. Well, if He saved you so you wouldn't go to hell, do you think He might be likely to forgive you when you mess up on this earth? Do you think He still wants to use you? I think He does. I think He saved you so He could use you. So, and I get it. You know, we learn these things. It, it takes some time to learn these things, but you've got to grow. You've got to learn. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to do a work in your life. He wants to bless you. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be successful. He wants all these things. So when you mess up, and when, and, and, and I say when, because you will mess up, go ahead and ask Him for forgiveness. Go ahead and do that. And again, it's not wrong. I think He was wise in telling Peter, asking Peter to pray for him. But you know what? At the same time too, he needs to learn how to do it himself. He needs to have that relationship with God. And his lack of personal relationship with Christ made him fail to realize God's willingness to forgive. And I'm telling you right now, I think I know enough about the Bible. I think I know enough about God to just, you know, say with great confidence, He'll forgive you when you mess up. He'll forgive you when you're not right. And again, Peter called it out. This guy had a heart problem. And understand, the reason you might be struggling with certain sins is because you have a heart problem. You're carrying all this baggage from your past and your heart's all messed up from it. Simon, I mean, he was a sorcerer. He was involved in some, obviously, some really bad sins and was really good at the sin he was doing. So, of course, he's going to have all, all kinds of issues, but... Without a doubt, Christ can help him. Christ wants to help him. Christ will help him. And it's the same thing for you too. And so we've just got to, we've got to learn to just go ahead and admit our heart problems. Just admit, Lord, I have a rotten heart. I still want to sin. I think wrong in this area. Lord, please change my heart. Please forgive me. And I'm telling you, He'll do it. He'll, if, if you mean it, he will, do, he will do it. I'm confident of that. But Simon's lack of growth is what caused him such strong rebuke. One can only guess what all was going on in his mind. Yet I think his head was just still back the way it was before. He, he, you have to train yourself to stop thinking that way. Everything he had done in the past was all about gain. It was all about manipulation. And he needs to learn how to start thinking differently. And that takes time. Thank God for Peter calling him out but maybe too he was getting desperate because he learned pretty quickly that christianity wasn't going to be real profitable for him and he was just trying to get what he could out of it but man if i could just get that power to lay hands on people no that's not how that works because maybe he was maybe he was just super carnal and needed a good old-fashioned rebuking you know the and the bible doesn't tell us what happened to him after this but when things like this do happen some get right some move on and never produce any fruit. I don't know. What happened to Simon the Sorcerer? The Bible doesn't tell us. I'd like to think that after this happened, he 
Peter prayed for him. He started bawling. He prayed himself and got right and went on to serve God. Sometimes that happens when saved people mess up. They get right with God and they move on. They do great things. But you know what else happens sometimes when saved people mess up and they get rebuked? They get bitter. They get angry. And they quit serving God. And then they never produce any fruit. And maybe that happened with Simon. The Bible doesn't tell us. One, one can only guess, and your guess is as good as mine. So, uh, e- either way you look at it, I, don't think the Bible, I think the Bible is very clear. Simon the sorcerer was saved, but Simon the sorcerer, at this point, had not grown in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it caused him some problems, and it got him in some trouble. And so, we need to make sure we actually learn the lessons that he failed to learn. And if we do that, I think we'll be a lot better off. So some important lessons from Simon the Sorcerer. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this uh, example you gave, gave us in your scriptures. Uh, Lord, I pray you'll help us to learn from it. Help us to uh, learn the lessons that you want us to learn. Help us not get all caught up in just miracles and a show, but help us to get caught up in the message that you've clearly laid out in your word. Help us to have the right mindset when it comes to the things that we receive. Help us to just give them right back out like they were given to us. And I pray I use everyone here in a great way. In your name we pray. Amen.